27 years ago, we moved up here and started the church. Um, I think we had a Toyota station wagon, and what else were we driving? Do you remember? Maybe my work truck or something? Anyway, we moved up in September 1991, and um, you know how moving is. So um, I decided I'm going to go get some tacos for us, so I went down to Taco Bell. It used to be Taco Bell on Jefferson. And, and Jefferson was just packed full of people, and I'm thinking, man, this town is really jumping. Wow, what a, you know, it was cruise night. <laughs> for those of you who know cruise night. So um, it was kind of an anomaly, but um, that was our welcome. A month later, we started in our living room. I think we had about 12 people in our living room. And um, Debbie did the kids' ministry back in our bedroom, and uh, we've loved it. We've been blessed. So it's been a privilege to serve you guys. So thank you. I'm glad, love you guys too. So I'm really happy and, and blessed uh, how, how the Lord brought Rob and Jessica to, into our lives and into this church. And so um, today we're making it official. And uh, I should have got a plastic sword. That would have been funny. <laughs> we can call him Sir Rob of Napa. So Today, kind of a little different thing. We're going to get away from the Gospel of Mark. And um, I wanted to um, share with you guys the responsibilities of a pastor and also the responsibilities of a church. And I was thinking, you know how uh, when if on your computer every once in a while you'll get a notification about update needed. Have you seen those? Yeah. And you kind of have to push that button and it kind of closes everything down for a while and the wheels are spinning and all that. But when it comes back up again, it's not sluggish like it was before because you've done the updates. And I was thinking today, this is kind of what it is today. We're kind of rebooting the church. And so I thought it's a really good day for you guys to, to be reminded, and for Rob, as, as we're going to charge him with the ministry, to be reminded of what it means to be the pastor of a church, but also for you guys who, who have made this your church home, to be reminded of what the, the responsibilities of being a Christian in a, in a local congregation are. And so we're pushing update this morning, and the wheels are spinning, and we're going to come back um, out of this thing kind of refreshed, and I, and I pray with renewed vision, and I pray where it's needed with renewed commitment to the things of God. And so uh, let me pray before we start. Then we're going we're gonna to be looking at different verses today. We usually don't do that. It's one of those special days. So let me pray for us, pray for our time. Father, we commit this time to you. Thank you, Lord. This is your church. We thank you that um, for 27 years you've kept it going, Lord, and you have chosen and seen fit to, to have the baton pass, to pass the torch, to pass the responsibility and we thank you how the, how this, for how this thing ha, has worked, Lord, and how it will work and what we believe will happen with this next generation. Father, I pray for my generation, Lord, that we would uh, support the young generation that is here, uh, lift up their arms, share wisdom where it's needed, and support in every way that we can. And I pray, Father, for the young generation, Lord, that they would take hold of this church and make it theirs, God, that they would run with it, and they would take it further than it, than it is uh, now, Lord. And so refresh us, God, with your truth today and your vision and your design. May we understand well your design for the church, God. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's get to work. Uh, John chapter 21 is where we're going to start first. So we're starting first with the responsibilities of a pastor. As I'm sharing these things, I'm speaking to you guys. And this is what you should expect from Rob. And Rob, this is what you should be expecting to do. And so it's really important that you guys understand what a pastor is, also what a pastor isn't. He can't be everybody's best friend and he can't help you pull the weeds in your lawn. 
but he's here with us for us with a specific responsibility to this church mandated to him by God and so there's and, and obviously this is not a a, a total comprehensive study on the position of being a pastor. I just picked out a few scriptures. There's a lot in the Bible about church leadership, um, but we're just going to hit some of the high points, in my opinion, things that are high points to me. So John chapter 21, Jesus has been crucified, been raised from the dead. You remember that Peter denied Jesus three times, but here we see Jesus meeting Peter later on at the Sea of Galilee, and he's restoring him, and he's commissioning him into ministry. So, uh, John 21, verses 15 to 19. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not, where you do not wish. And this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. When he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So, we see Jesus commissioning Peter into a position of church leadership. He's talking about the flock of God, and the people of God are often called the sheep or the lambs of God or the flock of God. There's a lot that can be learned out of this passage. I'm, I'm not, this is, these are not uh, exhaustive studies on these passages. I'm just taking certain points to share with you guys. He says twice in this passage, he uses, Jesus uses the word feed, and it means, look at your notes if you would, definitions are important, words are important. It means to promote in every way the spiritual welfare of the believers. So Rob, your job, promote the welfare of these people. And you guys receive that from him. Pastor Rob is going to be here to promote in every single way that he can to take care of you, to feed you, to tend to you, to promote for your spiritual well-being. That's going to be his job as the senior pastor of this church. Um, we're going to turn to 1 Timothy in a moment, but I want you to look at, down at, at letter B there, tend to the people of God. The word tend there means to govern, to nourish, to serve, to supply the requisites for the souls. A pastor's job requires that he be both reactive and proactive. So we often get phone calls or you'll approach some of us, hey, I, I'm going through this thing and we need to be able to respond to you but a good shepherd, now think of a literal shepherd with sheep, he doesn't just wait till the sheep come up and say, um, oh, excuse me, by the way, there's a mountain lion over there. He has to be proactive. The shepherd is out among the sheep. He's looking and he's tending them. He's taking care of them. He's watching over them. I have no idea how sheep think. But I wonder if they think, you know, why is he bugging us right now? This is a really nice patch of green right here and he's coming and he's getting his rod and stuff and he's kind of moving us. Why is he interrupting our life? Because, dear little sheep, your head was down and you don't realize the danger around you. So sometimes pastors have to step into that role, interrupting the lives of people and saying, could I talk to you for a minute? I think, you know, there's something you need to pay attention to. I'm seeing something, maybe you're missing it. Can I, can I, can I watch out for you? So that's Rob's responsibility to do that. My responsibility as an assistant pastor in January, Pastor Vince, uh, Gordon as he's here serving also, other leaders, 
to watch out for people, and we do that for each other anyway, don't we? I mean, that's common among us, right? But it's a particular calling to those who are called to shepherd the flock. It calls for encouraging the brokenhearted. It calls for being confrontational to those who are sinning and hurting other people. And sometimes, you know, that's, that's an unpleasant task, but it has to be done. It includes protecting the church from those who would hurt it. And we've, we've asked people to leave, oftentimes as hush-hush as possible, so as to not kind of humiliate them and, and make it easier for them to return when problems are, are settled. But we've had to ask some people, look at, you know, uh, it's not good that you're here right now. You're hurting yourself and you're hurting people. And we can't trust that your presence here will be good for the body at large. So we're going to ask you to step aside till this thing gets worked out. And can we help you work it out? And so uh, those are some of the things that sometimes the church members don't see, but those are some of the things that take place. So Rob, you're going to be responsible for that. You're going to be uh, giving that you know, responsibility to me and Pastor Vince, to Pastor Gordon. Um, that, but that's part of what goes on. Shepherds look after the sheep. The fun stuff and the not fun stuff. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, feed the people of God, flee, feed the flock, take care of the flock. And then verses 18 and 19, <clears throat> this is kind of, and this doesn't apply to you just yet, Rob. <laughs> but basically, Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die. They're going to bind your hands and they're going to take you somewhere that you don't want to go. And it speaks of, of his martyrdom. And then what's the, what's the last thing that he tells Peter? Two words. Follow me. Follow me so you can feed them well. Follow me so you can take care of them well. Here's, here's another thought. Follow me so you can die well. Solemn, isn't it? It's a solemn call. And Peter did follow Jesus well, even unto death. <clears throat> May I suggest to you guys, if, if Jesus Christ has been any kind of blessing in your life at all, in fact, if he has, say amen, would you? Amen. A lot of that tracks back to this passage and to Peter saying, yes, I'll do that. How are we a blessing in other people's lives? By following Jesus. And so Rob, you know this, follow Jesus. Jessica, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Up above that in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, would you turn there please? And so your, your Bible flipping fingers are going to get a little bit of a workout today. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. We're looking at the responsibilities of a pastor. We're revisiting the idea of a pastor feeding the flock of God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. The Apostle Paul is telling his younger pastor, as I, this old pastor is telling this younger pastor, these are the things you need to do. And so, guys, these are some of the things. As, as a church body you ought to be able to expect that this will be happening from your next senior pastor. You, this is an expectation that is biblical and right and good. And so uh, if, you, if the Lord ever leads you on to another church or some, wherever you, wherever you are at, whatever church you find yourself at in the future, these are the things that you should expect from church leadership. If these things aren't happening, something is amiss. Something is wrong. And so I know that this, these, these kinds of things that I'm talking about right now, I'm reminding Rob, but I already know these things are in his heart and in his mind because we talk about these things all the time. So 1 Peter, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Timothy says, excuse me, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some or command some people that they teach no other doctrine. 
nor give heed to fables, endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and a sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things that they affirm. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, this is what you need to do as the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And that was a tough place to pastor, Ephesus was. Number one, correct false doctrine. Don't let people come in there teaching the wrong thing or suggesting the wrong thing. There hasn't been a lot of that that's happened here over the years. Uh, In 27 years, that has not been a major problem. But it has popped up a few times, and, I've, and sometimes I've had to go to people and say, you know, like, when, when I hear you saying these things, or, or when I'm, and I'm not stalking anybody on Facebook, but when I see on your news feed that you're quoting this and that and saying this and that, does this mean that you believe that this? And I need to kind of, I need to watch out for things that could come into the church and begin to lead people away from the truth. Guys, if we, if we have a potluck after church and we have a punch bowl and somebody says, there's only one teaspoon of, of poison in the punch. I mean, is that okay? Not even one teaspoon is okay. No, no poison in the punch. And so we want to have biblical doctrine here at the church because it leads to truth. If I asked you guys, you don't need to respond by raising your hands, but if I asked you to raise your hands, how many of you, live, how many of you love living according to being lied to? How many of you love being wrong all the time or part of it? None of us would. Right doctrine leads us to truth. And so in Ephesus, wrong doctrine was coming in. Paul said to Timothy, don't let it happen. It's leading people from the truth. Without the truth of God, we don't have a clear view of marriage. We think it's okay if he has a girlfriend, she has a boyfriend, or if they're doing other things. Uh, They're not raising their children right. They're not spending their money right. Single people aren't living right. Married people aren't living right. We're not voting as biblical thinking Christians. We're not uh, acting like Jesus would in our workplace. Everything can be affected by wrong doctrine because you begin to think the wrong thing and as you think your actions will follow and your heart will embrace that. So it's vitally important that Rob does not allow wrong doctrine to come into this church. It's not just about being on some theological pulpit in, in order you know, to, 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 to pontificate and wax eloquent, as they say. It's about truth. It trickles down to how you discipline your children. It trickles down to how you respond to that family member that's not inviting you to Thanksgiving dinner this year because you said something and they are so easily offended it goes from zero to 100 and nothing flat. It matters about everything. So... Timothy, don't let that happen. Straying from the truth leads people into all kinds of problems. So we want to follow the Lord according to truth. Now I love verse uh, 5. is an amazing verse to me. Somebody would say, well, what's the big deal about being so biblically correct? Well, fortunately, the Bible tells us. The purpose, or another word you can insert there, the goal of this commandment, the goal of what commandment? Don't let any wrong doctrine come into the church. Well, why not? What's the big deal? Can't we just agree to get, agree to get along even though we believe different things? We can agree to get along, but we're not going to settle for believing the wrong thing because it leads in the wrong direction. So the goal for Pastor Rob and all the pastoral staff, the goal of keeping biblical doctrine in the church is so that, and guys, this is for you. Verse 5 is for you guys. 
Notice. Notice what God wants to give to you. The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart. Have you ever felt like somebody was loving you but there were strings attached? How many like that? I don't like that. None of us like that. There's strings attached. I thought, you, I thought we were going to be friends. Now you want something out of me? That's, that's insincere love. That's hypocritical love. The Greek word sincere, or the English word sincere, comes from a Greek word. Back in the, in the first century, they would make pottery, of course. And if there were cracks in the pot, they would put wax in the cracks to, to, to hide the crack. The word sincere comes from the idea of no wax. We're not hiding anything. I'm loving you with a pure, open heart. So as Rob teaches this church and as the other pastors lead home fellowships or whatever, that truth helps us to love people with no strings attached. Does that sound good to you? Do you want to be treated that way? Yes or no? That's, 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 That's what God wants to do in our hearts and so that you can love people with no strings attached. So that's the goal of the commandment. Also, from a purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, love from a good conscience. Isn't it great to have a clear conscience? When you hear the word of God and it says, uh, don't do LMNOP on Tuesdays, and you go, oh man, I've been doing LMNOP seven days a week. I better, you know. And, and suddenly you're like, oh Lord, you're convicting me, and I've been feeling bad about it, but I really like that LMNOP, and I've been feeling really bad. I'm not going to do it anymore. And suddenly you go, Man, I'm feeling better since I turned from that sin. You have a clear conscience because of the word of God. And then finally, sincere faith. Same word, unmixed faith, unhypocritical faith. You kind of believe, but you kind of don't. And a lot of us can struggle with, you know, I don't feel like I have enough faith for this or that. As Pastor Rob goes forward to teach this church about the power of Jesus Christ, the majesty of God, the wisdom of God, that nothing can stop him, that he loves you and he has a plan for your life and all those wonderful promises that are in the Bible, as that goes forward, it's going to bolster your faith so that you're not wobbling when the trials of life come. Does that sound good to you? Do you want to love people better, yes or no? Do you want to, do you want to uh, have a clear conscience? <laughs> do you want to have a, a sincere faith? Pastor Rob, his teaching of the word of God, that's the intention for that. It's for you guys. It's for all of us. Look down at your notes, letter D. Pastoring is to be done with the purest of motives. Just going to touch on this. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And Peter said, I'm also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And here was the, the charge to the elders there. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, not below you, but among you. Shepherds are with the sheep. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And so the, the motives of a pastor cannot be selfish because then people are just a commodity. And I really want to assure you, as much as I know Rob and Jessica, they, they are not here to make money because <laughs> they haven't been <laughs> making much. It's a, it's, it's a pretty lean lifestyle. I hope I'm not saying too much. But their hearts are pure in this. 
I told Rob when we started this whole process, you know, our daughter Sarah married Caleb Schrader here from the church, and Caleb's a great guy, but, but in, a, in a father's mind and heart, there's nobody good enough for my daughter, okay? And Caleb was, and we blessed that marriage, and they're, they're our great couple. But I said, that's how I, I feel even more so about the church. Not just anybody can come along and take this church and receive this church from me. And so I just, I, I just, I'm sharing this with you because I have a great confidence that they are not here for selfish reasons. And I, and I know you guys know that. Maintain that. Maintain that. Peter says some other things. Not for dishonest gain, not e- but eagerly. Not as lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So pastors need to fulfill their ministry willingly. If it's not with the purest motives, a pastor will quit. Guarantee it. The pastor mortality rate is pretty high in the United States of America, according to a lot of statistics. A lot of guys do not last a long time. If your heart's not in it, you you don't stay. And I I know these guys, their hearts are in it. Pastor is to serve the people, not be harsh. Pastor must realize that people have been entrusted to his care. Look at verse 3. Not as Lord, being lords over those entrusted to you. You guys, including me uh, and my wife, Rob, me and Debbie and this church are being entrusted to you. You guys are being entrusted to him. He has to answer to the Lord for how he has pastored you guys. I have to answer to the Lord for how I've done over the last 27 years. It's a very solemn thing. It's fun, it's joyful, it's hard, there's tears, there's laughter, there's all, those, all, of, all the different emotions, all the different experiences, but there is an accounting that has to happen between the pastor and the Lord. And so you guys are being entrusted. I'm handing you guys off to him. You're in good hands. I just want to say that. First Timothy chapter three. Just turn a cup, turn a page. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, bishop is another word for overseer. A lot of those words are interchangeable. He desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, not perfect, but when accusation comes against him, it doesn't stick. Position, a bishop must be blameless. The husband of one wife. You know, Rob, we didn't check on that, is it? Just kidding, guys. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable. That means a one-man woman. A one-woman man. (laughs) Not polygamy, okay? Hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. If a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Makes sense, doesn't it? Not a novice, which means not a new believer. Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Pride is the devil's, one of his favorite things. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. At one point, as we were working through this process, I called Rob's pastor, Gary. We talked on the phone. I said, tell me about him. (laughs) Give me a good referral. I got a good referral. So a pastor, as he goes forward, number one, look at verse one. If a man desires the position of a, a bishop, he desires a good work. It's a good thing for a man, if he feels called from the Lord, to desire that, that position of overseer in the church. It's a good thing. If it's a selfish thing, that will be revealed quickly. But it's a good ministry. And a man has to understand that there's a high calling on how he lives his life and how people see him. And so... 
Paul lays it out really, really clearly there to Timothy. And so I know you know this. I know you guys know this. Be careful with your lives before the Lord and before people. And so it's a great responsibility that a pastor has. And so you guys should be able to expect, and, and, and in, a, in a sense, we're not here to, to be nitpicking anybody, but in a sense, you should be able to stand back. And I, see, I think it's already evident in verses 2 through 7 those things are evident in, in Rob's life already. And so don't lose that. Maintain that. So that's the kind of man that God wants to give to you guys to nourish your souls, to watch out for your lives. So what do we have? Let's, let's review this first part. Number one, feed the people of God. That's the, that's the call of the pastor. There's a lot of other passages we could have seen. We hit the high points. Watch out for the people of God. Tend to them. Follow Jesus no matter what. Have pure motives and be careful with your life. It's a high calling for a man to be in this position. As we are rebooting and as we are doing an update right now, there's also a call to the church. And so I want to encourage you guys and perhaps remind you or perhaps for the first time share some things with you. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. As the pastor has a responsibility, dear brothers and sisters, this, this, is not a, this isn't a scolding or anything like that. In fact, I'm going to wait till everybody... Y'all, y'all, y'all there? I'm starting to talk like him. Are all, all y'all there? <laughs> everybody look up at me for a minute. He's not the only one with a responsibility. What we're, re- what we're reading here today, I think is going to maybe step on some toes in the room. But it's, it's God doing the stepping. And it's very easy for us to acclimate to the culture that we are in. And I think, honestly, the culture that we're in right now is a mess. Wouldn't you guys say so? Our nation is radically divided. That division does not come from people being willing to compromise or people being willing to lay down their own preferences for somebody else. That, stick with me, you guys with me? Our nation is divided because people are selfish. Would you agree with that? Both sides of the the aisle, the, the red states, the blue states, the Republicans, the Democrats, the liberals, the conservatives, there's an awful lot. I'm not talking about policies. I'm not talking about values. I'm talking about the way people live, and it's really awful out there, isn't it? Would you agree with that? We don't want to be those kinds of people, do we? There's one person that agrees. We don't want to be those kinds of people. We can can hold our values with decency and selflessness. And it seems like it's in very short supply these days that people can receive a contradicting idea without getting radically offended, wanting to do a roundhouse kick to your face, or sue you, or something like that. It's getting increasingly difficult, I think, for our nation to be able to to be told that they're wrong about something. It's awful. Dear brothers and sisters, we have to go with what God's word says, or else else we're we're in deep trouble. We're in deep trouble. 
It's a little bit solemn today, but I think it's, you know, some, sometimes I don't like doing the updates on my computer because it makes me just sit there and watch the wheel spin, you know, it's like. But I, I think today's a good day for this as, as we move forward. He, Rob, Rob and Jessica are not the only ones with, with new and, and serious responsibilities. Every single one of us here has a responsibility to the Lord and to each other. And I, I, I don't know that I can say it well. I have a great quote that I'm going to read in a second. But I just really want all of us to realize that we take our cues for, from, from God and, and not from our culture and not from our feelings. So... You guys okay? He's mad at us. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. (laughs) Hebrews 10, verse 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Verse 23 is real easy. Christian, stay, stay committed to Jesus. Stay committed to Jesus. In the time that I've been here, in the time that we've been here, I, I came up and I knew Bible college graduates that are atheists now. People that have fallen away, that have gotten in trouble with the law, all kinds of things. Christians that as, as you know, young in their young 20s and that, off to Bible college and studying the word and coming up and, and because of whatever, you know, disappointments in life or whatever it was, they just started saying, oh, Jesus doesn't work for me, Jesus doesn't, and, and you know, they've, some have lost their marriages and just all kinds of things. Guys, I just want to encourage you. Stay committed to Jesus. Verse 23, read it again. Let us hold fast our confession, the confession of our hope without wavering, because he who has promised is faithful. He's going to come for us. He's going to make all things right. There's going to be a reward for us as we follow the Lord. So guys, stay committed to Jesus. Number one, stay committed to Jesus. Verse 24, consider this, guys. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Look at your notes. I just want to kind of read through it, if I may. The idea of consider one another, the, the, the definition of that little phrase, it means this. Understand one another. Perceive one another. Fix your mind upon one another. When you're doing that, you're not thinking of yourself. You're thinking about other people. Dear brothers and sisters, Look at me again. I, just, I, so, I so want you guys to grab this. This is a commandment of God. Is it not? Yes, yes or no? Yes. This is a commandment of God. The Bible says if you're a Christian, you are commanded by the God of the universe to consider other people. In order to what? In order to stir them up to good works. To stir them up to love. That means you have to put out mental energy. You have to pay attention. It means you have to get to know people. Dear brothers and sisters, it means you can't come in here and do your own thing. Cornerstone, soon to be Calvary Chapel of Napa, is not a mall. It's not a buffet line at a cafeteria. It's a family. Look at your notes, guys. We are at the very bottom of the page. We are not to interact passively with one another, but we are to consider, think, and pray about ways to edify one another. And this is the opposite of being selfish. 
So how do I how do I encourage my wife as compared to how do I encourage uh, Russ Henning in the back? Ha, gotcha, Russ. Or how do I consider uh, stirring up Jim Haug as compared to Dave Wagner? Because they all have different personalities and they're all in a different place in life, right? And you know, how do I how do I consider stirring up a 20-year-old? as compared to, to a 70-year-old who are, who, you know, bright-eyed and energy and all this and, and with, with no experience and all kinds of experience and not much energy <laughs> and then everything in between. How do I consider stirring people up to do good works and to love? I have to know them. I can't just say, well, come on, bro, just do it. I can't, it's not one size fits all. Guys, when, as the pastoral team, when we're doing counseling, we don't just spew out scriptures to you. We stop and we listen and we think, okay, I kind of know this person and I kind of know their, their struggles when they were growing up and they might be struggling with this and so I kind of know them and so I think maybe this word would be good for them. But then another person over here, where this one maybe needs a nice, you know, a gentle hug and a, you know, kind of a pat on the back, this one over here needs a little bit of a noogie on the head. How do I know that? Because I know them. I mean, it's my job as pastor. I need to know people, right? But guys, this, this, this verse right here, verse 24, I, I just want you guys to embrace this. This is what church is supposed to be. We need to know each other. Dear brothers and sisters, it's not okay if you come in and just do your own thing. May I say this lovingly but firmly? It's a sin to come here and do your own thing. Don't think that coming here and just deciding if you like the song and the sermon or that you fulfilled your, your commission to the Lord, you haven't. It's a sin to come here and not consider other people. You're missing the mark. Praise the Lord that you're here. Praise the Lord that you, you decide to come and, you know, and, and there's lots of people that have even just forsaken the Lord and forsaken church and we, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritual but not religious, that whole thing. And praise the Lord you guys are here and you believe in the Lord and you believe that church is still a good idea. But it's not enough to just come and sit in isolation. That's why we have the life groups. That's why we have the home fellowships. That's why we have the prayer meetings. And may I say this on, on, uh, also? I understand sometimes, I understand also what it's, what it's like to come into a, a church or to be with a group of people and, and feel like I don't have the energy for this and I'm emotionally a mess and I'm damaged and I'm an introvert and, uh, and then, oh yeah, I'm talking about me. And I'm, all this stuff, I understand all that. I understand how hard it is to kind of push past your own insecurities. I mean, I, I'm talking about me in so many ways over the years, over my life. I understand that sometimes like, man, I'd just rather go home and get in my recliner and, and listen to music or read a book. I, it's a lot easier but I'm not called to live according to what makes me happy, am I? Are, are, am I? Are you guys? Yes or no? Yeah. We're not called to live for ourselves. And so I understand that it's hard sometimes. And so I want to encourage you. Sometimes, you know, I know some people might be coming here to the church and you might be saying, Pastor Bill, you don't understand how hard it is even for me to just get here. You know what? I do understand. There's been more than a few Sundays when I didn't want to come. <laughs> kind of a joke but it's true I'm just like it's hard I understand that you guys understand that but you know what it's not about me it's about Jesus isn't it it's about one another I've never regretted 
pushing past those feelings and just showing up. I've never regretted that because I know it's the right thing and the Lord will use that kind of obedience. And so I want to encourage you. Some of you might be struggling even to make it or it's hard for you to make friends and all that. I understand that. I honestly do. But can I just say this? Pray about it. Take, take verse 24 to heart and just say, Lord, you know all the reasons that I'm struggling with verse 24. I don't like people. People are weird. Church would be great if it wasn't for the people. I learned that from a pastor. <laughs> I understand all of that. But you guys, don't resign yourself to saying, I, j- I just can't do it. Don't resign yourself to that. Dear brothers and sisters, get involved with other people around you. I want to read verse 24. I'm going to go on. But dear brothers and sisters, this is not a suggestion. Are you with me? Look at my eyes, please. This is a commandment. This is a commandment of our God. Verse 24 Let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. It doesn't happen if we're passive. It doesn't happen. I also want to encourage you, and this is maybe more of my opinion than not, and so I'll share it as such. I know sometimes somebody will come to a church and they'll, they'll come because they like the music or they like the pastor, but I don't like the people. So my fellowship is outside the walls with my, my circle of friends. Okay, I understand that. I have friends also outside, outside of this church. But outside, outside of my church commitment, I'm usually not seeking out people that I don't like <laughs> or that are a little bit more of a challenge. I'm usually not seeking. When I decide to come here on a Sunday, I'm going to meet people that I wouldn't normally be friends with or that might be a challenge, and I need to be committed to love them. You guys with me? Coming here is a, is a challenge. It absolutely is. But it's what the Lord has designed for us. And if you will give yourself over to that, you will find that you will be freed of yourself and you'll be filled with, with a new, fresh love for God and a new, fresh love for people. So, dear brothers and sisters, it's not a suggestion. Invest yourself in the people around you. One of my favorite things, to, uh, sometimes I'm just going to, this is it, this is my last time, so here I go. <laughs> sometimes I'm off somewhere and Debbie's like, Hi, how's it going over there? And, I, and, I, and I, I text back to her, I say, my introvert is screaming right now. My int- I'm a total introvert. Why did God put me in public ministry? I don't know. Praise him. I, it's his deal. I'm a, my inclination is to like, psh- and anytime you see me, not anytime, but sometimes when you see me pushing out, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. So I understand that I'm with you guys emotionally on that, but we can't live according to our emotions. You've got to obey God. You with me? Pray about how you can consider somebody else. Do you know anybody else in this church well enough to where you, where you know, I know how to encourage them to love somebody. I know how to encourage them to do good works because I know them. Is, do you know one? Great. Do you know five? Even better. Do you know ten? Even better. Even better. But if we come and we say, I just don't want to do that, we're missing the mark. We're missing the mark. Let's move on. Verse 25. You guys are good on this one, not forsaking the assembling of our saints together. You're here, here. Praise the Lord. You're here. That's wonderful. That's awesome. Don't forsake the assembling of of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. There it is again. Interaction. Exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So we're commanded to, to, to meet together and to be involved. 
Now, I have a long quote to read to you, but it's amazing. Sometimes we, we Christians, and I have a tendency to do this, I'll go to a pastor's conference and I'll sit there and I'll go, I don't like this guy. <laughs> or that worship team, eh, I, don't like the, I don't like that song. There. It's like, who appointed me to be the head critic? You know? <laughs> now stand up and greet one another. I don't feel like it. I'm here to take a break, not to make more friends. I mean, any one of us can kind of adopt that view. I'm a spectator, I'm a critic, I, I, I'm, I'm a consumer. And it's just not biblical. Long quote here by a guy named Ed Stetzer. Ed Stetzer has written extensively on the affairs of the church in the, West, in the Western world. And this is a long quote, but I just pray you'll take it to heart. And maybe it doesn't apply to you. Maybe, maybe you totally agree with all of this. But this would be good to hang on to, to share with somebody else perhaps. And so you can use that as ministry. He talks about consumerism in the church. Long quote, here I go. Consumerism reduces God from a deity to a commodity. His value, like everything else, is determined by his usefulness to the user, namely the Christian. In consumerism, personal desires and their fulfillment are paramount. Therefore, everything and everyone, including God, exists to satisfy these cravings. This is precisely opposite of what Scripture teaches. We are called to live in submission to God and walk humbly with him. Consumerism, however, reduces God so that he becomes a means to an end. He is presented as a useful tool that supplies us with our desires and expectations. As one sociologist noted, in our consumer culture, we have come to view God as part cosmic therapist and part divine butler. Yikes. Isn't that something? Secondly, consumerism reduces Jesus Christ from Lord to a label. When the early Christians declared Christ is Lord, they were subverting the popular belief of the day that Caesar is Lord. It was a proclamation of Jesus' authority and power over all things, and it was a declaration of allegiance to our heavenly king. But in consumerism, the customer is king, not Jesus. As a result, Christianity becomes just one more brand we integrate and display along with Gap, Apple, and Starbucks to express our identity. So Christians no longer carry an expectation of obedience and allegiance to Christ, but rather the perpetual consumption of Christian merchandise and experiences. Music, books, t-shirts, conferences, and jewelry. Nothing wrong with those things in their place. Rather than living out the values and ethics of the kingdom of God, we share the values of consumer culture while our identity as Christians remains a veneer. Ultimately, the powerful influence of consumerism in our contemporary culture forces us to ask hard questions about our faith. Are we truly seeking a life with God? Or are we simply trying to use him? And is our allegiance to Christ and his and is our allegiance to Christ and his kingdom, or is Christian simply a label we identify with but put no real impact on our lives or behaviors? As we pursue the mission of the gospel, are we presenting Jesus Christ as the goal and the treasure of life? Or is he being packaged and sold as commodity to help consumers achieve lesser desires? That's heavy, isn't it? I know some, I know there are some ministries that, that People expect to be entertained and comforted and never challenged and that kind of thing. It's just, it's, just not, it's just not true Christianity. It's not real. And so I'm glad you guys are here. Praise the Lord that you guys still believe it's a good idea to be here on Sunday morning. I pray that you're better off when you leave. I mean, we should be better off when we leave uh, after a gathering together. Uh, if, if, this, if this kind of pricks at your heart a little bit, you know, may the Lord just help us to make 
course adjustments as needed. If, if you totally agree with this and go, oh man, I couldn't agree more, then maybe share this with somebody. And there's a, you can look up Ed Stetzer online and he's got some really good writings about how it's really easy to kind of slide in the wrong direction and that we need to be careful about that. Let's, let's finish up here. We are in Hebrews chapter 13, two more sections, and then we're going to bring Rob and Jessica up. They, they want to share a few thoughts and words with you guys uh, before we lay hands on them and uh, before we pray for them. And I think, yeah, we'll take a few questions before that too, if there are any. So, Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Once again, an exhortation to the church. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. The readers are encouraged to consider the leaders that God has placed over them, those who have taught you, the word of God, and consider their faith and lives. These guys are going to be on display. They have been on display. They're going to be on display more. I think in the best and in the most holy way, we should be able to look at a pastor and go, you know what? That's admirable. That's an admirable life. That's an admirable home. That's an admirable marriage. Not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But I really consider them, and Lord, I want to, I want to remember who they are and what you've made them to be and, and see them for who they are in you. And it's, just, it's just a recognition and an acknowledgement. And then down at verse 17, look there. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> My goodness. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so, so with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. <laughs> the word obey there means... Listen to people and allow yourself to be persuaded. I can't stand pastors that have a heavy hand. It's really popular in Mexico. I, I've been told by some pastors down there that I need, to, I need to treat people as if I were the Pope. Imagine that. They, 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 the, the Mexican culture, and I'm half Mexican, so I'm not, it's not a racial thing. I'm just saying. Being down there, the people love to be told what to do and they just want to fall in line. They don't want to think, oftentimes. They don't want to reason through things or just tell me what to do and I'll just obey. And that kind of passive, ungodly submission is not biblical at all. But there is a kind of submission and a recognition where somebody says, you know, God placed this person in my life and he's saying some things to me or a woman who's leading a women's ministry, she's saying something. I really need to consider this. I need to consider that God placed them here. They've sacrificed a lot to be here and I need to let myself be persuaded to see if they're right and I'm missing something. I need to be teachable. And that's really the idea behind that in verse 17. Be teachable to those, by those who rule over you. Be submissive. Because a pastor and other leaders are watching out for your soul. They're watching out for your soul. Once again, the church has been committed to a leader. Look at verse 17. As those who must give account. I have to give account. Rob's going to have to give account for how we have led. This is kind of a fun verse. <laughs> Let them do so, so with joy and not grief, <laughs> for that would be unprofitable. There have been some people in the course of this church that they, they are nothing but a joy to just like, man, they come and they're just wonderful and just so, just so eager and ready to walk with the Lord. And then there's the other ones that are like, are you sure you're not a goat? You know, it's like, it's, sometimes it's just tough. 
But, but, but notice what he said. If we will allow... Guys, check this out. Rob's going to be my pastor. Pastor Rob. He's going to... Now we're switching positions here by God's design. He's my pastor. It's unprofitable for me if I don't pay attention to what he has to say. It's unprofitable for me. The old guy. <laughs> I'm, I, it's like, I, this is for me now too. I need to consider the man that God has put over this church so that it will be profitable for me. For What did we start with? So that I can love sincerely. So that I'll have a clear conscience. So that I'll have sincere faith, unhypocritical faith. So that I won't have to pretend to be a Christian when I'm really not. Or hide things. So if I will put myself under his authority as God is going to use him, it's profitable for me. I pray that you guys could see pastors in that way so it's not some blind obedience not at all we're going to end now with Ephesians chapter 4 turn in your Bibles there if you would please Ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 talking about Jesus and his church And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why did God give some to the church? It's verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. This is great. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love that we all may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together. There's that interaction thing that we talked about earlier. Joined and knit together by what every joint, every person supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So... God gave leaders to the church. Look at your notes. We'll close it out. I'll take a couple questions and then we're going to pray for these guys. God gave leaders to the church so that the church would be mature and healthy. We who have children, don't you love it when your five-year-old tells you that you're wrong? <laughs> You'll thank me someday. You know, it's like, it's not good to run out in the street. You, you hate me. Uh, no, I don't hate you. <laughs> You know, same idea with church leaders. Here for the blessing of the people, for the safeguarding of the people, for the nourishing of the people. So, God gave the church leaders so we'd be mature and healthy. It's God's design to bless the church with leaders. Notice what it says, and, and he himself gave. You give gifts, and so Rob and Jessica are a gift to us. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. I agree. They're a gift to us. Don't, don't, rec- don't refuse the gift. Receive the gift with thankfulness and joy. Pastoral leadership, we are here because we're called by God. God's goals for you are our goals. We will give an account to God over our pastoral care for you. Allow us to lead with joy and not grief. It's unprofitable for you. Also, commit yourself to God's design of leaders being in the church. Rob is not here because he's perfect. He's here because the Lord has a calling on his life. I haven't been here because I've been perfect, and I don't want to hear any amens to that. God, the Lord called. 
That's why we're here. One thing that I did not like in this last election, and I'm not talking about who, uh, that I like Trump more than Hillary or Hillary more than Trump. I'm not saying that. It can go back to any, you know, Obama to Trump is a big change, isn't it? So whatever side of the aisle you're on, it doesn't matter to me, honestly. But one of the things that I didn't appreciate were all the people that said, he's not my president. I disagree with that. You're an American. He's your president. I could have said the same thing about other presidents. Or See, I'm not going to get into the political thing here because I can polarize us over, over, over lesser issues. All I'm saying is, if you're an American, he's your president. Guys, I want to encourage you and ask you and invite you to do this. If this is your home church, Rob's your pastor. Would you, would you do me a blessing and him a blessing? And whenever the time is right, would you just approach him and say, you know what, Rob, you're my pastor. And this is my church. And I commit to pray for you. And would you let him know that you stand with him? And if the Lord should ever lead you somewhere else, that's okay because sometimes God moves people around. But wherever you end up, dear brothers and sisters, you should be able to say that to the next pastor. You're my pastor. And you're here to take care of me. And you're here to lead and guide me. And you're, you're here to watch out for my, souls, my soul. And this is my church. And I commit to considering one another how I can stir people up to love and good works. So I'm committing to this church and I'm committing to you, Pastor. I just would, I, I commit myself to you, Rob. You're my pastor. And this is my church. It better be, huh? <laughs> You're my pastor. He's my pastor. And I'm going to pray for him and I have been praying for him. I want to encourage you to let him know that. So, Finally, decide not to be a consumer. Guard yourself against that. It's, really, it's, it's in our nature to be consumers and to be critics. And that's not what the church is supposed to look like. Any questions? I don't know if we have any today. Concerning the issue of false doctrine, can you give some examples of the things that Christians can agree to disagree on without being accused of false doctrine? Uh, certainly. I think uh, prophecy... Prophecy is things about the future, so how do we know who's right? hasn't happened yet. So if we have an opinion on prophecy, hopefully we have good reasons why we think the way that we do, but we can disagree on prophecy, the rapture of the church or things like that. We can disagree on that and still have a lot of fellowship around what we're sure about, which is Jesus. Uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit is tongues for today. We can disagree on that, still meet on the person of Jesus. Um, should instruments be in the church or not, we can disagree on that and still have wonderful fellowship in Jesus. So there's a lot of things like that uh, that, are, that are secondary and tertiary issues uh, that we can set aside and we can agree on Jesus. So I hope, hope that helps a little bit. Well, Rob, Jess, come on up. Well, guys, uh, my wife and I had a, just a couple of short things we wanted to share. Nothing outlined. This is not a mini-sermon or anything of the sort, but just kind of how to start off on the right foot and express our hearts to you guys. So I'm going to start and let my, my wife share a couple of thoughts. Hi, I'm Jessica. If I haven't met you yet, I would like to. <laughs> um, we want to get to know everybody here. Uh, I know that could take some time, but that's our heart. And um, sorry, this is emotional. <laughs> It was some years ago that um, I walked through the doors of this church on a midweek service, and I met Bill, 
And, uh, you know, I didn't believe in God, and I, my life was a wreck. Uh, it was so bad that I began to consider perhaps God existed. And this is the church that I walked into. And through a relationship with Bill and Debbie and some other church members, um, I, was, I was in a place where I was re- uh, ready to receive help for the first time and take suggestions. And I was exposed to the gospel when I was ready to receive it. And I was born again, and God transformed my life. I moved out to Tennessee and um, met Rob at Calvary Chapel, Greenville. And always kept in touch with Bill. And he's been an example to me of what I want my life to look like. I just never thought it would literally be, be something like this. But um, I used to tell Rob when I first met him that um, about Cornerstone. We were out in Tennessee for several years, and I used to talk about this church that helped save my life and showed me the love of Christ and um, how it would be such a dream come true if we could ever even come here and be a part of the church. So this is an honor, and I love this church, you guys. I do, and so I want to give that same hope to the lost out in our community and keep the centrality of the gospel in mind as we go out as a body, as we co-labor together. There are lost and suffering people out there, and that is our heart. And um, so I just want to tell you guys that I love you and ask that you please pray for us. And I also want to please ask that we strive for unity during this time of transition, that we stay together unified and focused on the gospel because that is what is important. That's why we're here. So um, it's an honor to be here and to be able to serve you guys like you did to me so many years ago. So thank you. Yeah, I just want to say... uh, it's very true what she said about uh, her loyalty to Cornerstone and how much she used to build this church up to me. And uh, that really um, it impacted me in such a way that I felt the same way. I thought, wow, man, this church is incredible, you know. And um, just it built within me a, a serious loyalty before I even came out here, before I even met Pastor Bill. And I, I see the Lord even in that. So. We used to think what a privilege it would be just to come and be a part of the body and not even thinking that we could serve uh, as we are today. And so it's been amazing how the Lord has worked and how everything has come to pass step by step. And you guys know so much of of our journey. And I just want to say I was telling one of the board members this the other day. The first time in my life that I ever had a dream. You know, growing up I couldn't tell you what I wanted to do, what I wanted to be. And I kind of entered into a life of drugs and alcohol and crime at a, a young age. And for me, I just thought, well, if I don't die early or, or go to prison, I mean, I don't know what, what will be my end. But when Christ saved me and he put in my heart a dream and a, a desire to serve God, the first time I can recall ever having a dream, it was this. It was to serve him pastorally, uh, to serve his people and... Uh, and here it is, guys. This is my dream. And, uh, and my dream is to love you guys, to serve you, to teach you, to lay my life down sacrificially, and to care for you to the best of my God-given ability. And so I want you to know that I love you. Do you guys understand that? We love you. And it's our desire to serve you and to care for you, to feed and to lead. And uh, we know you love us. You've made that abundantly clear from day one. And we have experienced uh, your embrace and your support. 
And that's been part of the evidence that God's hand is on this because a title, a, a salary means nothing if the people don't support you and, and you guys have supported us. So through that we have understood God's hand is on this and we believe that. So we just wanted to share that with you guys and let you know from, uh, from day one here uh, where, where we're coming from and our hearts and we love you and we thank you for your support. Thanks, Rob. Paul, is this on? Good. We're going to invite the guys on the board of directors. Some of them couldn't be here today. Tim Keplin is uh, on vacation, uh, planned it out for a long time. But um, Gordon, can you join us as well? So these are the guys on the board of directors. Um, they vote on, on uh, financial issues in the church. And so it looks like we're having a young buck join us up here. <laughs> Come on up, Dalton. So um, I'm going to pray. Vince is going to pray. Um, and then we're going to conclude our time together. So, yeah. I turned it off. Go ahead. You go first. Okay. Let's pray together, guys. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you for all that you've done in our lives. We are your church. We are your people. We are your servants. And you assign us, Lord, to our place in the body of Christ. And you give us the blessing and the privilege of serving one another and serving you, Lord. And we thank you for this body. We thank you for how you have guided and directed us over the years. And now, as we look forward in the future, Lord, we give you praise for our new teacher, our mentor, our, our pastor, uh, you've raised him up in our midst, and you have anointed him, Lord, uh, with power and with understanding and with wisdom. And uh, we just appreciate it, Father. We just thank you. I pray that each one of us, Lord, would continue to support and to love him and, his, and Jessica. And, Lord, that uh, you would continue to bless Rob and, and his beautiful little family. And that uh, we, Lord, will uh, do our, our part, each one of us individually, Lord, to bless you, to serve you, uh, to love you, and to love one another as you've commanded us. And we give you praise and thanks for this moment. And we look forward to many years ahead. And uh, we ask you to use our body for this community uh, and, uh, and Rob's teaching and his exhortations to us, Lord, uh, to spur us on to good love and good works. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you for these two. We're blessed and we're glad uh, that you brought them to us, Lord. It was your plan, and so thank you that we discerned that. Thank you that you arranged for them to be here, all the practical things that were able to be worked out, Father, but also just the kindred spirit and the, the like-mindedness, the same heart for you and for the church, God, the same DNA that you've planted in, in all of our hearts together. So we're very grateful, Father. And we commit these guys to you, Lord. Bless them, protect them, use them. Give them great vision, Father. Help us as a church to, to lift them up in prayer, to commit to it, that we would commit to one another, and Lord, that we would commit to them 
not because they're perfect or right all the time, but because you brought them to lead this fellowship. And so, Lord, work in our hearts to that end, God, for your glory. May your church be beautifully displayed here in Napa in this community. May, may your love and grace and your design and, and, the, and the gospel go forth and adorn you, Lord. And may you be beautified by what happens in our lives and through our lives, Lord. So, so we thank you so much, Lord, and we commit these two guys to you. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.